Hi, and welcome to the Audacious Health Podcast, where we dive into the wholehearted and imperfect cultivation of our own well-being and the health of our communities. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, just honest conversations to challenge and inspire you to maximize your potential right where you are. All right. Hi, friends. I am your host, Chauncey Carroll, and I'm excited to introduce you today to Craig Elder. Uh, Craig is the COO of Blue Sky Global. Prior to Blue Sky, his career has included time in the healthcare field, working as an athletic trainer in high school, collegiate, and orthopedic clinics. Throughout his career, he has always enjoyed the leadership and mentoring opportunities of all of his professional experiences which have included time as a practitioner for high schools, colleges, and orthopedic clinics as an athletic trainer, teaching collegiately as a professor in sports medicine and performance, and hospital administration on orthopedics and sports medicine. So welcome, Craig, to the podcast. Thanks, Chauncey. It's Thanks great for to be being here. here. Yeah. Um, so I would love to just hear a little bit about what Blue Sky Global does and the mission of the organization. Yeah, great. Well, Blue Sky Global is a faith-based organization that engages multinationals by mentoring youth, developing leaders, and building community through adventure-based programming of camp, climb, community, expeditions, and team development. Uh, We've been engaging multinationals in Kenya for over 20 years. Uh, We established the first indoor climbing gym in East Africa and have recently launched our expeditions program and led our first client up one of the technical peaks of Mount Kenya, which we're really excited about. Um, That peak is uh, Bataan. Uh, It was 21 pitches and um, topped out at over 17,000 feet. So that's a little bit about who we are and um, what we're trying to do in Wow, that is so cool. I can't wait to get into all of that. Um, Before we start, though, what do you mean by multinational? Yeah, for us, um, we try to reference the really diverse population that exists in Nairobi. Um, there's, We'll talk about it later, but just di- the different populations, the different cultures that are represented there. And so for us, we could say the international community, but multinationals is just a term we've landed on to really reference who it is that we target there because I think a lot of times when you hear about an organization that's a nonprofit working in Africa, um, we think of different um, NGOs that are there to do great work where they are maybe providing clean water for uh, people in rural areas or they are uh, taking care of orphans, or maybe they're helping people who live in the slums. Um, But our focus is not on those individuals. Um, It's on this group of people that is really unique to Nairobi that kind of um, comes in and out. And so that's our way to refer to that population. Sure. Yeah, I admittedly do not know that much about Kenya or Nairobi. How would you explain that to someone that's never been there? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of us um, in the U.S. are probably um, have the lens of what happens in Africa based on maybe documentaries we see or maybe uh, commercials from these great NGOs that are asking to be able to support. Um, but to learn a little bit about uh, Kenya and Nairobi specifically, I think it would probably surprise 
some of your listeners to know that there's over 10 million people in Nairobi. And so if you think of the continent of Africa, Kenya is located on the east side. Um, So there's a portion of Kenya that uh, is adjacent to the Indian Ocean. And then if we start at the northern border and kind of work around like counterclockwise, you would have the countries of Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Uganda, and Tanzania all bordering Kenya. Some other things that are kind of interesting and connect to us where we are in Colorado Springs is Nairobi um, sits about 5,500 feet. So they're okay. at altitude. Yeah. And um, the multinational part comes back to who are all these people who make up 10 million people? Uh, they're not all like nationals, like Kenyan nationals. A lot of them are international um, businessmen and women. Um, over, wow. uh, yeah, over a, a thousand different major international companies and organizations call Nairobi home. And um, that includes actually the United Nations office at Nairobi. And because of that, you have over a hundred different foreign representations. And that's through embassies, uh, high commissions, and consulates. So you've got a lot of like international government uh, people that live in Nairobi. And that's what is unique about this population that we're trying to engage with is that for a lot of them, they're kind of transient, uh, which, Mm -hmm. again, is a connection to us in Colorado Springs. If we think about all of our military population, about how they come and go here, too, Um, a lot of these posts that people have with these uh, embassies and, and, and consulates are term positions. They're there for maybe two to six years and then they're off to their next post. Yeah. It sounds kind of like a New York City, maybe like in density and diversity. I would I would give people that type of reference for sure. Um, um, just because of the volume of people and then just this um, melting pot of different cultures that are coming together. Yeah. How did you get involved in this organization? Well, um, about I don't know, it's almost close to 20 years ago, I was introduced to the founder of this organization through a mutual friend um, that we had in Rome, Georgia. And uh, as they were explaining what they were just starting, um, it just sounded really interesting to me. Like, I don't know that I had ever sat around and dreamt about going to Africa, but as I had this conversation about the location and the opportunity and that they were running a summer camp. And if I wanted to come over and just volunteer to do whatever was needed, that I could also have this great adventure. I was, I was hooked to want to go then. Um, So that was my first experience. And uh, I think after spending five weeks there, I think at the time felt like that was a once in a lifetime experience Mm. and it was so cool. But what happened after that is over the course of the next probably five or six years, I went back four times and got really involved and um, connected to the mission of the organization. And then over that course of time, I engaged as a board member. And eventually, um, in 2017, this founder of the organization had decided to transition out Mm. and reached out to me and said, hey, you've got a lot of experience in administration and leadership. 
would you be willing to help me figure out how to create a U.S. structure? Because at that point, it was really just a one-person show administratively here in the U.S. Mm. And um, I did that. And fast forward um, from that point, I accepted the role as the board chair and continued to work really closely with the organization and then this uh, a year ago in June, um, just through some conversations with the executive director and some board members, I accepted a full-time position that I'm currently in now. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool because I knew you on the healthcare academic yeah. side. And so it's really fun to see the evolution of you becoming involved in this organization and as well as how it's evolving now. I feel like you piqued my interest at first because you're like, yeah, there's this huge climbing scene there and that you guys have the first you know, climbing gym there, indoor climbing gym. What is the climbing scene in Kenya like? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And it was really fun. I remember when I sent you that post just on expeditions and that was really our beta trip and the summit of Mount Kenya there. Um, I felt like that was going to just based on your history and stuff <laughs> and your personal interest, I knew that was going to uh, peak and start a conversation. But um, for us, starting a climbing gym back in 2011, um, in Kenya, the first one was really cool. And that was, I would say, uh, the first proper one. Even when we were there in 2005, probably I would say two years after we started the summer camps, we started recognizing this really um, robust climbing uh, culture that was around there. And we actually constructed something at the location that we were having camp. And that for the next um, five years or so was uh, just a gathering place of, of the community and local people who are interested in, in, in climbing. But um, the history goes back even further than that. There's the Mountain Club of Kenya was established in 1938. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was one of the first things that when we built this small little climbing gym that was really cool for us because, um, as you know, um, you can't always get outside um, on the rock. Um, sometimes it's just time and other times mm. it's, it's weather. Uh, weather's not as big a deal there in Kenya. Just being <laughs> close to the equator, they have some really great um, weather year round. Oh, sure. But the facility we currently have now is um, offers top rope as well as uh, bouldering experiences. And outside of our gym where we lead um, different people would be locations like uh, Lou Kenya. Uh, there's a great national park, Hell's Gate National Park, and of course, Mount Kenya. Hell's Gate's kind of this really unique place that's a volcanic gorge. There's m- multiple basalt climbing in the Great Rift Valley. It's only an hour and a half out of Nairobi. And so that's a lot of, I think, day trips for people outside the city. That's very common and we lead lead trips there. And then Mount Kenya that I referenced earlier where we had our first summit, um, there's actually two technical peaks, Bataan, the one I um, talked about, and then Nelion, which is 17,021 feet. And uh, for those that don't want to do the technical climb or that they're just not, not there yet, there is a walk up, um, which is, oh, at, nice. yeah, which is at 16.3. So wow. um, I've been able to do that one before. And that was a really cool experience. The trip up, you can drive to 10,000 feet and there's a hut. You can spend the night. You hike up to 14,000, 
which for all of us here, we're like, okay, that seems like yeah, the like top. Speak. Yeah. Like that's the top, but <laughs> it's not. Uh, there's actually uh, another hut uh, that you can stay at at 14,000 and then the next day go up. So wow. there is some acclimatization that happens, but already being at 5,000, that's, that's usually it's a two day experience. We yeah. like to take people from five to 10, spend the night, 10 to four, spend the night, and then the next day four to summit. Yeah. And back down. And that's for the walk up. Um, there's a different experience if you're actually doing the technical sense. But that's that's a little bit about what's happening for climbing specifically in Kenya. Yeah. I looked up some of the pictures. Hell's Gate looks beautiful and yeah. just like a labyrinth of really cool climbs. It is. And it's uh, I think there's the nuance of being in Africa. Um it's just different. I think we can all talk about places that we go climb here in Colorado. And when you're out in nature, it's fun. You Sometimes you're fortunate. You get to see maybe, you know, a mule deer. Or if you're really fortunate, maybe you see an elk or something. Um, and so wildlife is present out at Hell's Gate. Mm. Um, but the difference is, is the animals you're looking at, we normally only see in the zoo. Sure. <laughs> so to be climbing at Hell's Gate and be at the top of a pitch and then turn back around and look at the valley and see just a bunch of zebra or elephants or giraffes. Um, It is, um, like I said, it it feels different and kind of special, even though it is just like, that's the wildlife that's in Africa. (laughs) That's super cool. (laughs) Well, like you said, I do love that, you know, instead of a lot of focus on nonprofit in Africa, which is all great, but you guys have a really different focus on kind of adventure and fun and bringing that to the population. And so I love that focus on adventure. Is there a story or experience that you feel like sticks out for you on one of your trips? Yeah, for sure. And just a little bit on that point of adventure, what we found is that that's just a common language mm. for a lot of people in Africa and especially this multinational community that finds itself located there primarily for work. Um, adventure is just something that people are seeking out. It's a, it's a way to uh, connect with other people. Mm. It's certainly an opportunity within the climbing gym for people to develop community. I think any of your listeners that have done bouldering before understand what bouldering's about. Um, and, and bouldering's a little bit different than just top roping and going out and multi-pitching. You're sitting around with a group, you're problem solving a route. And then when you're not climbing, you're sitting there having conversations. So we just find this is a great way and an opportunity to engage people. But to your question about adventure, for sure the one that sticks out in my mind maybe because it was my first big adventure in Kenya, but also just the experience and the unknown. I had no idea what was getting ready to happen. I knew we were on a on a trip. We were uh, taking a group. It was the summer, the first time I was there in 2005. So it was me, a lot of college students, and we were in between camp sessions. And this was kind of our week of going to serve which is something that all of our camp counselors get to do when they're there. We take a week and we look for a a community project to serve. Mm. But along the way, we were going to have an adventure. And the adventure was that we were going to go rafting, which I had done before. (laughs) And I was like, I'd done that before in Colorado. And I was like, well, sure, this sounds really cool. And they said, hey, we're rafting the Nile. 
<laughs> so again, in my mind, again, this is like, I think would be common is like, what is your picture of the Nile River? Well, if you've watched any kind of documentaries and stuff or seen photos, your picture is this like really wide, lazy float. Right. Where That's you may have calm. seen like, you know, like crocodiles uh-huh. and stuff or animals coming to water and stuff, but it's out in these plains. And so in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that's what we're going to do. It's just going to be this float trip. Yeah. I quickly learned that it was not because the first thing they tell us when we get there is they tell us this section of the Nile is called the White Nile. And so this oh. starts in Jinja, Uganda, uh, the mouth of the Nile River, which is Lake Victoria. And um, currently it's a nine mile trip and it goes through class three, four, and five rapids. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if you've been rafting in Colorado, you'll know that fours are super intense. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a great historian of Colorado rivers, but I don't know how many fives mm. or if there even are fives in Colorado. That's a good question. I know I've never run one before. Yeah. <laughs> so to think about something that was at a five, I was already thinking, well, Surely we're just going to get out and like walk our, uh-huh. our raft around that. That didn't happen. <laughs> uh, so this nine mile trip today has been truncated a little bit, unfortunately. Uh, when I did this uh, 20 years ago, the trip was 20 miles. Oh, wow. There's been some dams that have been built in Kampala and some other places that have actually shortened this trip. So we had a 20 mile trip at that time and uh, we ran the fives numerous fours and fives in fact the only time we took the our raft out we were walking around sixes oh my gosh so again something can't even picture what that looks like yeah i didn't even know (laughs) the numbers went that high um so um i think if the way i would try to get the listeners to maybe get a mental uh, picture of what the experience was like is like if you have ever been across the mississippi river uh, it's a really wide river. There's a lot of volume of water. And in most places, it's, it's fairly deep. And that's because all the barges go up and down there. So get that image in your head and then think about forcing that over huge boulders that are <laughs> deep within there where you get white water. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's what was going on. I still remember very clearly when we got in the boat, the guide introduced himself to us. And his question was, do you want to get wet? Which again, I was thought was a very curious question. We're in water. And in my mind, of course, we're going to get wet. I did not know until he explained that that was code for, do you want to stay in the boat? (laughs) (laughs) Because I think you know that that's something that is never discussed out here. Because it is, you need to stay in the boat. Because if you get out of the boat, there's some serious things that can happen. You can hit your head on a rock. Your foot could get entrapped. Right. At all cost, cost, you should stay in the boat. That's the message in Colorado and probably yeah. most of the places yeah. in North America. <laughs> but his question was, do you want to get wet? Well, my boat said yes. I don't even remember if I responded, but I went along with what everybody said. And the answer was yes. And so what I learned throughout the day was that meant that the guide was going to pick the line that would give us the highest probability of actually flipping the boat in the air. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and once you got through one rapid and you survived, 
and you understood that there were safety kayakers out there for you, that if you got into stress, there was somebody to help you. It became a competition between all of us and our group and the different boats because there was somebody from the guide company that would get to every rapid with a camera, so video, and it was who can have the best, the baddest wreck Oh by the gosh. end of the <laughs> end of the trip. Um, That's funny. So yeah, so we spent the Catch whole day air. just uh, launching ourselves through these <laughs> rapids. Um, but there were periods that my previous thought of what it was like actually happened where the river slowed down, it got really, you know, slow and you could relax and you could see animals on the side mm. and stuff. But yeah, long story, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's that awesome. was my first big adventure in Kenya. I love that. Yeah, because we're an adventurous folk in Colorado, but yeah. that's a whole nother level. That sounds so fun. It sounds like there's some canyoneering to do as well. Yeah, just this past uh, January, um, I was there with our staff. We do a retreat every year. So this is our U.S. staff and Kenyan staff all coming together. And we were with another group guiding us. And uh, we were in a gorge and there was a few different opportunities. You had opportunities to jump off the cliff into big, deep pools. Um, the highest one we did was 30 feet. Oh, nice. Wow. And uh, then there was a 80-foot waterfall that we were able to rappel down. Wow. Um, so another great experience, crystal clear water. And uh, good thing was it, it's summer right now over uh, in Kenya. So you had ambient temperatures of around 80 degrees, but the water was definitely Colorado cold. Oh, so, really? Yes. Wow. It was, it's just, uh, it's from the glacier melt and oh. stuff from Mount Kenya that comes down into the gorge. Okay. Wow. No, this is so cool to hear and picture all of these cool adventures that you can have climbing, yeah. rafting, some pretty serious expeditions. Yep. So you come from an academic and healthcare background. What do you feel like makes you so passionate about what you're doing now? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, certainly, as I think about how did I get to where I am now, I never thought that I would be in an executive position for a small nonprofit. Um, it just wasn't the trajectory that mm -hmm. I went to school for or that all my experiences uh, were about. But um, the thing that really drives me right now are, are two things. One, I love our mission and believe in Nairobi being a great place for us and the mission of our organization through the intersection of the multinational community coming together, there's this opportunity for a ripple effect. When we have an opportunity to engage with individuals and share our story and hear their story and just talk about our worldviews and, and in our beliefs, we can potentially influence people and then the ripple effect happens when they go back home. So if they have an opportunity to process things with us and perhaps have a little bit of a different worldview, they take that conversation, that relationship that they have with us, and they take it back home with them. Mm. And so I really believe in that opportunity we have there. And the second thing is, is that um, we provide an opportunity for people in the U.S. to have an international experience. That can happen as camp counselors. Uh, we have programs for people to apprentice or intern. We have employed positions, and then we do vision trips. A lot of times those are focused with churches, but um, just all of those different 
avenues to give people an opportunity to see something different than the U.S. Hmm. And I think that's probably at the heart of why I've always liked to travel internationally is because I feel like we could be better as citizens of the U.S. Hmm. if our worldview was a little bit broader than just looking at what's around us. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're in Kara Springs, which is like 90 percent or more like white homogenous and yeah when you do travel you realize there's an entire world out there and that it doesn't revolve around you and that there's a different perspective to be had and it doesn't mean you have to like change everything about what you do at home but that you can bring some of that with you and change the way that you are intentional about living maybe for a positive perspective Yeah, for sure. I think what it's done for me and other people that I've seen that I've been able to take on these trips is that you come back understanding that there are different perspectives and that not all of our perspectives are necessarily right. Mm. And there's not a necessarily right or wrong. And it's allowed me, I think, to be more receptive to opposing viewpoints and Mm. have conversations And I think that would be really healthy for a lot of us to get to a place where just because a group of people or an individual has a viewpoint opposite, that we don't completely shut them out Mm. as people. Mm -hmm. Um, We still respect them as human beings and that they do have the right to have their own opinion and perhaps understanding more about why they believe what they do Hmm. or their point of view might be helpful to me and what I think. And so I see that happen a lot. And I think that's just something, an added bonus to being part of an organization that operates in a different country is that we can create those spaces for people. Yeah. I think when I've traveled, some of the things that have struck me are the, you know, hospitality of strangers, like that we are all human and that we can connect with each other as humans, even if we have vastly different backgrounds. And then, yeah, like you said, you do get to learn more about why they are the way they are now and gives you that different opportunity to think differently about something. And I think one of the first things that you realize when you travel outside of the United States is that we are so enslaved to productivity and time And that like that is our driver and you get to other places and they they take month long vacations like every year and they take a siesta in the afternoon or, you know, things close down at at six and you're supposed to be with your families. And like there's something really beautiful that you can learn about kind of getting off the conveyor belt of of our society. Is there anything in particular that you wish like culture wise would come to the United States that you've seen in Kenya? Yeah, I would say that what you're conveying is definitely apparent in Kenya. It is a New York city and people are very like, they're highly productive and it's, uh, I don't want any of this to come across as like, there's not like ambition to do the best, but being a former British colony, a lot of the things that uh, we might associate with Britons like tea time, that's still a very a very big thing there culturally. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing at 10 and 2. People are going to stop. 
And it only, it may be for 10 minutes, it may be 20, but people are going to stop at those two points in the day to take a breath and to have tea and just have a little bit of a conversation. Um, You see that rhythm too, where just the timing and stuff about punctuality. And again, this is not to convey, I think, laziness. Um, And this was something very challenging for me. I'm a very type A individual, uh, bordering (laughs) on OCD, uh, I think some people would probably say, but I just like order and I like punctuality. And so when things are exactly not as they happen, that causes tension for me. I think in Kenya, that doesn't exist as much for a couple of reasons. And it's just things that are just out of a lot of people's control. Like traffic can just be crazy there. Oh, Um, yeah. And not everybody has their own vehicle. And even if you do have your vehicle, you get stuck in traffic or public transportation's not running on time and stuff. And so there's just a little bit more, I would say, grace Mm. for the meeting didn't start exactly on time. It's 10 minutes past. And if someone's not there, the belief is that they have a good reason. Mm. It's not, I think, what would go through my head the first time because I'm probably more negative. And then when someone's not there, I think they're just not paying attention that sure. they're maybe I think they're lazy or something, but but that is definitely not the first thought. I think that's the word. There's just seems to be more grace for things like that. And um, I think that's rolled up into this different pace for life mm. outside of work that there's not just all this stuff planned for the weekends. And to your point, when people do go on holiday, it's for extended periods of time. And even if you're not taking your own personal time, I think there's over 20 national holidays mm. every year. And so there is definitely more of a culture of rest and recuperation from efforts. I think when people are working, yeah. and I've seen it, they're working. A yeah. lot of them 10 or 12 hours a day, but they also rolled into that. Uh, have dedicated times for rest. Mm. Um, so that would be something that I would feel could be beneficial to yeah. a lot of people in the U.S. I'm not sure how that works with our mechanism <laughs> and stuff of, of productivity here, but it's uh, it's definitely something that's uh, enjoyable when yeah. I'm there. No, that's really cool. I think that like work hard, play hard. Like when you're at work, you're at work. When you're not working, you're really intentional and focused and in the present. And it sounds like they have a really generous assumption of other people, which I think is really cool. Like they don't just assume like, Oh, they they're late. They don't care about me. This is so rude. They're like, Oh, they must be like dealing with their family or it's a, sounds like a very generous people and mindset. Yeah. And I get that perspective from not so much just multinationals that we're engaging with because we do business with them, but you know, the majority of our staff in Kenya are Kenyans. Mm. And so they definitely set the tone for what that environment's like in the workplace. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it when you're traveling, you just break down so many stereotypes too. Like you said, I think when I think of Africa, I have certain pictures that come to mind. And then you're telling me it's like completely different if you actually go and travel there in a lot of those ways. Yeah, I think what you the, the takeaway is that big cities – 
are big cities. Yeah. Um, and they're very much like what we had may have visited in the U.S., but your picture is still accurate that there are rural sections of Kenya that it's still very hard. Yeah. It's, you know, so it's a, it's the both. Um, and mm-hmm. I think the unique, the part of that people are not probably ready for is thinking about a big city life in a third world country. Sure. And uh, you were saying Nairobi has maybe one of the largest slums in the world. Yeah, there is a section, there's multiple slums. Uh, There's one in uh, Kibera, which is in the heart of Nairobi. The last time I looked at any data on it, it's about one square mile, and there's two million people living there. What? I know. That does not even seem possible. It's really hard. You walk through there, and in our eyes, we see people that don't have a lot of materialistic things. There are, you know, maybe six to eight people living in a eight by 10, eight by 12 little uh, pen area that's all of them butt up against one another. But when you look deeper in there, there's a community there. Mm. There are places to buy food. There are schools where children are running around in all of their little uniforms during the day. There are churches So as destitute as it looks, and you would think that people are just don't have any opportunities, uh, and I'm not making light of the fact that life is is difficult, Mm. um, they are still making choices to try to do what's best for their children through schools and to have community, to still focus on uh, what their beliefs are through attending church and Mm. stuff like that. So it is a community within a community. So it's, again, a very uh, different thing than you would think of. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like they're not poor in all ways. They're they're rich in community and in some of the things that really matter. Yeah, I think that's what you would find in a lot of experiences where we would project, which is something that's very hard not to do. We project how someone would think or feel because they don't have what we have. Mm. And I think one of the things, especially in the rural parts of Kenya is what you, uh, what you find is that for the most part, they have what they need and they're Mm. very happy people and they don't have the weight of the materialism that we have here in the U S and there's something very freeing to observe that where people are just doing life and 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 what they what they choose to do with their time mm. because they don't have what I think um, are are burdens that we carry. Obviously, we intentionally carry yeah. them. We have a choice, uh, but the society we're wrapped up again and says that you need more of these things mm-hmm. if you're going to be important or fulfilled or happy or whatever those words are. But for most of them, their hospitality is uh, enormous and um, their happiness is uh, undeniable when Mm. you're around them. That's really cool. That's something that is very inspiring and that I want to learn from. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if I decide I want to come to Kenya for a climbing trip, where do I start? Yeah. Well, I think the, the the place to start is just to learn more about our organization and, and what we do. Um, and so you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Look for um, Blue Sky Global. And then if you are wanting to know some very specifics, like some things we talked about today, like our programming, like, you know, what is it about? What, what things do you offer? What is summer camp? 
who's eligible to be a camp counselor, like we're recruiting right now. So if there's any college students that are listening or our parents, they're like, man, this sounds like it might be a cool opportunity for my son or daughter. Um, we recruit camp counselors. If expeditions, all of that stuff, then you would go to blueskykenya.org. Uh, if you go to Blue Sky Global, that's totally fine, and you'll see our U.S.-facing site, but the program-specific stuff, go to blueskykenya.org. Um, and I think for anybody listening that just has more questions, the easiest way is if you're on LinkedIn, you can reach out to me that way, or just my name, Craig.Elder, E-L-D-E-R, at blueskyglobal.org. And I'm sure uh, we'll have that information up once the podcast is published. Yeah, I'll put it all in the show notes. So, well, thank you, Craig, so much for just sharing about your organization and everything that you guys are doing both here in the United States and in Kenya. And check them out. If you liked what you heard today, please share the podcast. Don't forget to follow so you don't miss the next episode. And we'll see you next time. Bye, friends. Mm-hmm.